for the last five weeks, I've been on something that some traditions call a sabbatical. Others call a ministry renewal leave. Um, and it's been so good. I spent uh, a couple days up at a covenant camp that we have called Covenant Pines. And to be able to sit there around a campfire watching the sunset on the lake and watching the stars come out. And to hear the loons giving the soundtrack. That was so good. I had an opportunity to visit four different churches. And I officiated a wedding up at Grandview which was just spectacular. And those experiences were so good on so many levels. I worked my way through a number of exceptional books, many of which we're going to be recommending over the next several weeks this summer. And I got to spend a lot of quality time with my backyard on projects. Many of you can relate to that. And, and I spent uh, some time going on some long walks. And I even got to spend a couple of days fishing and I was able to, to have my mind, um, since I was free from just the day-to-day stuff, to be able to, to dream and to vision and to, to listen. Well, when we launched Emmanuel 10 years ago, many of you were, were there with that. And we launched, at least I did, with a lot of trepidation. Well, after these last five weeks, I can say without hesitation, I have never been filled with more anticipation. Sorry about all that shuns. But it's the truth. I have never been filled with more anticipation of what God's going to do in this next season ahead. I am so excited. These experiences over the last five weeks, they've been an exclamation point. An exclamation point that God wants to do something very, very, very special among us. This church has always been his idea, and I cannot wait as, as this now vision that's been emerging over the years is, is going to be moving even forward and more rapidly over the season ahead. God's building a church where we're not going to give lip service to integrity and authenticity. God is building a church where we're not going to duck the hard stuff. It'd be a lot easier to just avoid certain scriptures and avoid certain topics and avoid certain issues. I believe God wants us to press into them. We're going to become a church increasingly where people from different backgrounds can find common ground. A church that that both welcomes people as they are and challenges them to become the people. All that, that God would have them to be. A church where we draw from the best of the past and the present. A church that's committed to both big church quality and small church feel. A church that's committed to also being both relevant and reverent. A church that's making a real and substantive difference in a world that's filled with so many lost and hurting people. A church that's intentionally intergenerational, where people from all ages and life stages can come together and listen and learn from and support one another. A church where weddings and funerals reflect the uniqueness of the individuals that are at the center of them. A church where the sacraments of baptism and Holy Communion may not always go as smoothly as you know, (laughs) but they don't feel like empty rituals, that it's real. A church that disagrees really, really, really well. A church that's a part of something bigger than ourselves. A church that's in a real relationship with others who provide real external accountability and support. And a church where the Lord's prayer is prayed, God's word is read, and the gospel is proclaimed. I could do this all day long. I am so excited to be a part of this thing that God is doing But here's the thing about visions. 
we were at a, an annual meeting not too long ago, and our, our superintendent of the Northwest Conference, he said this about visions. And there's a place to write this in your notes. Each week we provide a sheet for you to write some of these things down, and we encourage you to write this down because this is so key. Vision without execution is what? Hallucination. Vision without execution is hallucination. Can I get an amen? All right, this is just a truth. Most visions are contingent. They will not arrive if we just sit back and wait for them to happen. You'll never learn to play the guitar if you never practice. You'll never qualify for the Boston Marathon if you never train. If you're in debt, you'll never get out of debt if you don't change the way you're allocating money. You'll never have great friends if you're not committed to being the kind of great friend that a great friend wants to have. And I want to invite each and every one of you to join us in the active pursuit of the church that God's calling us to be, including, including this emerging vision that God is giving us for our kids. That's the series that starts today. And we're starting a brand new series called Our Kids. And when we use the phrase our kids in this series, we're talking about all the kids that are within our spheres of influence We're talking about sons and daughters, but we're also talking about nieces and nephews, children and grandchildren, kids who are part of this church family, kids in our neighborhoods, kids in our classrooms, kids on the teams that we coach. God cares about kids. Can I get an amen? He cares about kids. And leaving a God-honoring legacy is central to what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Jesus invited a group of young men to follow him. He welcomed them into a new kind of community. He modeled a new kind of life. And he equipped it and entrusted them to carry out his mission. We call that discipleship. If you ever heard that word before and weren't sure what that means, that's what it is, discipleship. And there's a place to write this in your notes. Jesus cast a vision for a disciple-making church. Jesus cast a vision for a disciple-making church. Jesus envisioned a community of people who were serious about and effective at making disciples. And over the next four weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to be digging into two first-century letters that were written by a follower of Jesus named Paul. These letters were written to a young man that Paul was mentoring in the faith. The young man's name was Timothy. In his letters, Paul said things like this to this young man. He said things like, flee from youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call upon the Lord from a pure heart. And what we're going to see in the weeks ahead, Paul didn't just say these things. He didn't just say, do this. Paul didn't just pass along information. Paul had welcomed Timothy into a new community. Timothy had seen people model what authentic faith looks like. Paul had equipped Timothy to pursue that that kind of life. And now near the end of his life, Paul was passing the torch. It's the same model that Jesus used with his original 12 disciples. Now, many scholars believe that 1 and 2 Timothy, they are the last two authenticated letters that we have from Paul. He wrote a number of letters. These are the last two authenticated letters we have from him. Paul continued to pour into young people all the way up until the end of his life. And as a church, we are passionate about pouring into young people too. About a month ago, I had an opportunity to spend some time with a man who wrote one of the books we're going to recommend in this series. Mark Holman says this about why it's important to pour into the lives of young people. Here's, here's his quote. He says, The moral, spiritual, and relational foundations of people's lives are determined primarily by when? Age 13. 
Other studies even have that number lower, 10. Wow. When you consider the world that kids are coming into, that's scary, isn't it? If you have your Bible with you, I want to encourage you to open with me at this point to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, because I want to show you something here. And if you don't have a Bible at home, or if you don't have a Bible at home, we'd love to give you one free today. Um, each and every week we keep a stack on those tables from time to time. The tables may shift as we flip this room all over the place, but uh, always look for the table. There's always going to be Bibles there, and we encourage you to take one home. Here's what um, Paul says to Timothy. Again, this is, oh, this is actually 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy, sorry. 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 4. But understand this, that in the last days, there's going to be times of difficulty for people will become lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving, good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Now, if you have your Bible open, don't look at verse 5 yet, because we're going to look at that one a little bit. But as we're going through that list, can anyone see any of these things in our culture today? And here's the deal. If you were to go back 10 years, would they have seen these things? If you went back 10 years earlier than that, would they have seen these things? 10 years earlier, 10 years earlier, 10 years earlier. When the Bible, at least when Paul refers to last days, if you take that term and then cross-reference it with the book of Acts chapter 2, verse 17, you're going to discover that the last days began when the Holy Spirit was poured out on Pentecost, this day of Pentecost. And in these last days, the days that we're still in, ancient prophecies state that our sons and daughters will prophesy. Our young men will see visions. And while that's happening, culture's trending a different way. It has some high points and some extra low points, but it's trending a different direction, a different direction, very different direction. As a young man, Timothy was growing up in a culture that was at odds with the life that he was pursuing. How many with a show of hands would say today's teens are at odds if they're trying to pursue that kind of a life too with the culture? Well, I spent some extra time in these letters. I'm really glad I did because certain phrases, when you read several times, they start to jump out at you. And here's a phrase that jumped out at me. This is out of 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ, by Jesus, by the will of God, according, and here's the phrase that popped to me, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. The promise of life. Christianity is, is not exclusively this list of don'ts. Every single don't points to a grand do, a grand yes. There's a promise of life for those who are followers of Jesus. And don't we want the, that promise of life to be experienced by our young people? To know, for them to know that they're loved, to know that they matter, to know they can make a difference to develop real relationships, to develop values that will serve them well. Serve them well now, serve them well in the future, and serve the rest of our culture well as they live them out. For them to experience peace and joy that can extend into eternity. Well, there's a lot standing between our kids and the promise of life, isn't there? And as I was praying about this, I'm like, how do I get a picture that we can describe of what it's like? I had this picture of this little kid who had made a raft. And they got their little paddle. And, and so the raft is where they're at. And the distant shore, that's the promise of life. 
And standing between kid and their little raft that they're paddling on and promise of life is this huge storm. And we've got this storm that we'll put in the background, right? This is what's standing between them. There's no way on their own they can get through this because listen to some of these trends that are happening in our world. Substance abuse. Substance abuse among teens tripled in the 80s and 90s. And today's drugs, they're more dangerous than they've ever been. Sexual activity outside of marriage, it's always had consequences. Well, today, nearly one-fourth of sexually active teenagers will contract a sexually transmitted disease, a fourth. That number goes up to 50% by the time they're 25. About 20% of kids in the United States live below the poverty level. When I talk to school officials here, right here in this school district, where you think, oh, poverty not a big deal, homelessness, hunger are real issues right around us. The percentage of obese children rose from 6.5 in 1980 to 19.6% in 2008. Now, on the other end of the continuum, you say, oh, let's just get kids in sports. Sports, they become more expensive and more competitive and more stressful than ever before. Doctors are reporting more and more repetitive use injuries as more and more young athletes are doing the same thing year round. And what I'm hearing more and more of is kids who are burning out on sports they once loved. School violence, need I say more? Need I say more? It's without precedent. Kids and, and parents crying out for help. And families, families are struggling. This, this support network for these kids are struggling. Divorce rates doubled between 1960 and 1970 to the point where now today, one in three households is headed by a single parent. And if current trends continue, listen to this. I, I'm going to read this word for word. I, I went back and I checked this over and over again because this does not seem like it could be true. Only 6%, if current tre- trends continue, only 6% of black kids and 30% of white kids will live with both biological parents through age 18. I just finished a book called The Power of Habit. The author provided case studies about marketing. Professionals with almost unlimited resources are able to, quote, exploit our shopping subconscious like never before. How is that even a thing? That people would exploit our shopping subculture or subconscious. Countless professionals from every discipline are concerned about the impact that media and technology are having on our kids. There is so much we don't yet know, but what we do know is alarming. Brains are being rewired. People are becoming more isolated. Powerful addictions are forming. And bullies and people with evil intentions now have access to kids in their own rooms. Listen to this one. 80% of teens between the ages of 13 and 17 are exposed to pornography on a regular or occasional basis. And if that number wasn't high enough, it goes up to 90% in the 18 to 24 age group. What happens when you combine all these trends? You get a perfect storm. And listen to this next study. And this next study, I I, I said, well, maybe these numbers are skewed because maybe one of those studies, they get the 300 people and they say, oh, that represents the whole country. This was a study on 100,000 college students. 100,000 college students. 100,000 college students were were surveyed. And 84% of those students surveyed felt overwhelmed. 
reported they're exhausted. 61 described themselves as very sad. If that was the only one, wouldn't that just be devastating enough? 61% described themselves as very sad. 57% said they're very lonely. More than half said, I'm experiencing overwhelming anxiety. And just yesterday, just yesterday, as I'm typing the final draft of this thing up, I hear a story on our own local news that said child and teen suicides, child and teen suicides increased by 40% since the year 1999. Okay, if all of this isn't enough, let me give you one more trend trend that I would encourage you to look up because you're not going to see it in the mainstream because they don't know what to do with this. They don't know what to do with this. Did you know that the man that directed the Exorcist movie is making a new movie? Did you hear about this? This time it's a documentary. This time he's studying. In fact, I think it might have even been released by now. A movie about real exorcists because there is this activity that is escalating around the globe to the point where the Vatican is now... Fact check me on this. The the Vatican is now training more real exorcists than ever before. Wow. A case can be made that even the realm of the demonic is trending against this generation. So I've been reflecting on a lot of these things. And what do you do with it? And and I had pulled a muscle in my leg. And so I'm I'm, I'm walking now instead of running. So I'm bringing my, my, my phone with me. And I'm recording all these thoughts. And I was recording thoughts about these trends. And so I was recording these thoughts and I brought the thing back and I was typing it out down into my computer and then I went to delete that file. And when I pushed the, the trash icon, it said, do you want to delete trends? And I'm like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> How many of you would like to delete most of these trends, right? We wish we could, don't we? Don't we wish we could delete these trends, but we can't. Here's what we can do. We can step up. How many of you want to step up? Let's step up. We can't delete the trends. That's not an option. What is an option is for us to step up and do everything we can to help this next generation. Everything we can. I want to encourage you to write this down in your notes. We, have, we, we can help these kids navigate these storms. Distinctly Christian communities are uniquely positioned to help young people experience that life they long for most. Can I get an amen on that? We are uniquely positioned to help. I believe this with all my heart. I have witnessed this firsthand. And I can point you to some pretty compelling evidence to support this claim. In fact, I'm going to give you some evidence in just a minute or two. And yet, even as I say those words, I recognize that for many of you, this was not your experience. Church was not helpful at all when you were a kid, when you were a teen. That's actually the case for most people. And so if that was your experience, you're not alone. In fact, even today, even today when we've got all these, these, these new programs and all these new ideas and all these professionals that we didn't even have multiple generations ago, 60 to 90% of today's kids are walking away from church, not to come back. So if that was your experience where church actually misrepresented the life you find in Christ, it wasn't just you. It wasn't just you. If I may be so bold... There's times where the Bible itself says we should walk away. 
Here's that verse that I said don't read. Now we can read it. 2 Timothy 3.5 says this, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its what? Its power. And then what does it say? It says, avoid such people. Avoid such people. What does the Bible itself say about people? They've got the appearance of godliness. They deny its power. It says, avoid such people. There is a legacy-leaving framework that the scripture presents to us. It presents to us. And that framework is powerful. It's not powerful because it's a program, but it's powerful because it follows the model of Jesus, and Jesus is in it. And this is what we're going to be looking at in this series. This is a, a framework that is far more powerful than most of us would give it credit for. It has worked in far more challenging situations than ours with people who had access to far fewer resources than we do. As I mentioned earlier, it's his framework that Jesus used as he developed his original disciples. It's also the framework that his disciples used to disciple others. Here's an example where you see it embedded. You don't see it like a textbook, do this, then this, and this, and this. You see it embedded. And we see it embedded in passages like this. Second Timothy chapter 2, verses 1-2, through two, he says, You then, my child, speaking to Timothy, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, now entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. All right, please keep this slide on the screen for just a minute because it's all embedded in here. This is the legacy framework that we find in the scriptures. Paul welcomed Timothy with the kind of grace and love that a father has for his own son or daughter. Paul also modeled the faith before Timothy and other witnesses. And then finally what he did, Paul equipped and entrusted Timothy to now go and do these things. This is the legacy framework that we see in the scriptures. And I want to encourage you to write it down in your notes because this is our outline. This is our framework for the rest of this series. The scriptures, it says in your notes, contain a framework that has proven to be remarkably effective. And here it is. Welcome, model, equip, and entrust. And over the next four weeks, we're going to dive into each one of these. Next week, we're going to explore what does it mean to really welcome, to really welcome kids and teens in a God-honoring way. And let me just say this about that right now. This is a church, we're going to be committed to loving them, not tolerating them. Who wants to be tolerated? Don't you want to be loved? Tolerance is to love as the candy aisle is to an athlete. More on that next week. In two weeks, we're going to emphasize the importance of modeling. Everything else in this framework... Everything else rises and falls on modeling. Why? Because one, people need to see it. Two, they need to know we actually believe it. Right? And three, people need to see it and think that we believe it. And then they need to see that it actually works. Does it actually work? And can I just say, I am so thrilled that my own two girls are growing up in a community like this. Because they're constantly hearing, constantly hearing all of these statements about what Christians are. We're getting boxed into this box. And I'm so thrilled that my girls can look at you and she can say, those aren't the Christians I know. I know people who are very, very different than that. Well, we're going to bring this series to a close then by pressing in, how do we equip? How do we not just tell? How do we train, right? And then how do we entrust young people like Paul and Jesus did? This was Jesus' vision for his church. And this framework works. I want to encourage you to write this down in your notes. Our faith in Jesus' vision is supported by what? Facts. 
Our faith in this vision that Jesus had that this could actually work is supported by facts. There is nothing we can do to guarantee, nothing we can do to guarantee that a child is going to choose to follow Jesus. Both Jesus and Paul, they had both had people that walked away, that they had already invested in. But there are concrete, practical things that we can do that make a difference, not just anecdotally, but statistically. In three weeks, we're going to talk about equipping. And we're going to look at a study that was done by a Minnesota-based organization called Search Institute. And you can find that study in one of the books that we're recommending. Inside your bullet, we have a yellow sheet. And on that yellow sheet, there's a lot of great resources. I've read every one of those books. I'm not just, I can personally not endorse every word, but I want to recommend every one of those. One of them is this one, Faith Begins at Home. And in this book, again, we're going to press them this more in a couple weeks, but in this book, they, they talk about this study by Search Institute. And what this study did is they identified 40 different assets that we can give to a young person and also that can be embodied within that young person. And the more of these assets that a young person has, the more likely they are to not engage in at-risk behaviors. And this, is, this was done in a, in a real study here. So take a look at this. Here's two examples, two examples of how this works. So what they did is they identified one at uh, risky behavior, problem alcohol use, and they defined it. They said among a teenager, problem alcohol use looks like this. Three or more uses in the last month or that person got drunk one or more times in the last two weeks. Take a look at this. Of the students that only had zero to 10 of these 40 assets, how many of them were engaged in that behavior in the last month? 49%. Look what happens if they have 11 to 20 of those assets. It drops to 27%. All the way down, if a young person has 26 to 30 of the 40 assets, how likely are they, how many of them reported engaging in alcohol use this way? Only 3%. Are there things we can use to, to make, the, the, things that we can do that make a difference? Yes. And again, I'm like, okay, what kind of study was this, right? Because I don't want just some study of some girls raised by nuns in a convent. Let's, let, you know, what, what was the study? This was a study of 2017, oh, no, 217,000. 217,000 middle school and high school students from 318 communities in 33 different states. That's this study. Here's one more example. Let's look at this one. Sexual activity among teenagers. They define that as sexual intercourse three or more times. Of the students that only had zero to 10 assets, 32% were engaged in that way, dropping all the way down if they had 26 to 30 assets. Look at that. 3%. Yeah. I can't, right after the service, come up, I'll show you the book. I'll show you all 40, all right? <laughs> yeah, you know, okay, so, but here I'm going to tell you one of them in just a second, all right? So again, you guys, there's, there's no guarantees on these things. There's no guarantees. God reveals himself as father, and even his firstborn rebelled. Jesus was as perfect a small group leader as you're going to find, and the individuals in his small group had their own share of struggles, didn't they? So there's no guarantees, but that said, isn't this encouraging? Isn't this encouraging that there's things we can do that help? And here's what I find most encouraging of all. This will get kind of at your question a little bit. The guy who wrote the book was talking to the guy who did the study. And the guy who did the study said that a healthy, God-honoring church can provide 25 of these assets. 25 of these assets. I believe God desires Emmanuel to be a church that defies the trends. 
And I've seen what happens when a team of people commits to coming alongside teens and their families. I've seen it with my own eyes. And I've seen what can happen when we do this. Laura and I were both impacted when we were kids by a guy named Roger Twito. I talk about him all the time because his activity in my life, God used it to change my life, to change Laura's life. And he didn't use these words we're using today, but this was the framework that he used. And God blessed it. Susan and Scott Ward, I don't see Susan here, but Scott, put, raise a hand so he can fact check me on this. Talk to him after the service. When I was fresh out of college, these aren't the words we use, but this is the framework that we used in New Ulm, Minnesota. And you talk to Scott about what happened in those four years, how God blessed it. And dozens of you can testify to what God did when we applied these principles at my last church. Again, these aren't the words that we used But when I reflect back, what did we do? We welcomed young people. We modeled as best we could what it means to follow Jesus. We equipped them and we entrusted them. Is that framework effective? Yes. Three of the four parents whose kids were baptized today were in that youth group. Isn't that coincidence? (laughs) How God put that together. Eight of the people who are currently serving on our staff were either kids or volunteers in that youth group. Does this work? Does, this, does these types of things foster a faith that goes the distance? Yes. Are there guarantees? No. Does it help? Yes. They say that up to 90% of teens are walking away from the Christian faith. I envision a church where 90% of our students are following Jesus. And you know what they're doing? They're saying to the other 10%, come on. And they're saying to their friends, come on. This is where life is found. Can I get an amen to that vision? Now remember, a vision without execution is what? Hallucination. So I'm going to ask all of you to go all in on the following. I'm going to encourage you to write these down. These are the same three action points we're going to have every week in this series. Wouldn't it be amazing if every one of us was growing, everyone was giving, everyone was serving? Growing is the one that we're going to get more specific about each week. What if we were growing in these areas? What if every one of us was becoming a more welcoming person? What if every one of us was, was really trying to model as best we can what it means to follow Jesus? What if every one of us was directly or indirectly helping to equip and entrust young people? And we'll talk about more of what that means as as we go on. And again, we've got all kinds of great resources we're going to throw your way, including that um, yellow uh, insert that's got those books on it. Susan actually, Susan Ward said next week she'll have copies of those books that you can look at um, out there on on the table as you leave. Small Church, another great resource that can help you grow where you can get together with people in your area and you can talk and say, what's working, what's not working? Do you have thoughts? Can you be praying for my kids? And as we're all growing, I want to encourage you to consider giving to a big portion of our combined resources go to help young people. In fact, I knew our number would be high. I didn't think it was going to be this high. When our staff aren't off having babies of their own, (laughs) we have 16 people on the Emanuel staff. Guess how many out of the 16 work directly with kids? It's in their job description. Ten. Ten of the 16. We care about kids. And when you give, you're given to that. And finally, we invite you to serve as a volunteer. Not only do they see you modeling this faith, but everything we do, every one of our ministry teams, directly or indirectly, affects our youth. Well, as we bring today's teaching to a close, I want to share a quote and a story 
And then we're going to have this video that was put together by a denomination in the close of the song. Here's the quote. A hundred years from now, your great-grandchildren probably won't even know your name. No one will care about what awards you won or how much money you made. The only thing that will matter is what kind of kids, what kind of legacy we left behind and their influence on subsequent generations. The guy who, who gave this quote, he told a story, a true story based on his life. He said there was this time he was going through this really, really tough patch. And he said, I need to go on a drive to clear my head. I'm, I'm just, I'm toxic right now. I need to get out of the house. And his little daughter, who was four years old at the time, Sarah, she said, hey, can I go with you? And he said, yes. And so he took her with, and, and he said she climbed into the passenger seat. <laughs> Which, really? <laughs> okay. <laughs> anyway, so four-year-old's in the passenger seat. And normally she was a talkative girl, but she was also a sensitive girl. And so she could pick up on something that was not right with daddy. And so she just sat there quietly for a two-hour drive as her dad was trying to sort out these things. It felt like the weight of the world was on his shoulder. And by the end of that two-hour drive, it was still there. The weight was still there. But he pulled back into the house, and he was frustrated and angry and somewhat depressed. And, and he gets out of the car. And as he's getting out of the car, for the first time in two hours, he hears a still, small voice. And that still, small voice, I want to make sure I get it right because it's just precious. She says, Daddy, don't forget me. I have to get out through your door. And you see what his dad, this dad had done is when he would bring his daughter with, she was too little to be able to open the door on her own. And so what she would do is dad would open his door, she would crawl across his lap and get out. She was unable to get out on her own. And that just touched his heart. And, and he goes into the house and finds a quiet place and he just falls on his knees and he weeps and he prays and he says, God, thank you that this isn't all up to me. And I read that story, and I think about those trends that our kids are going up against. Thank God it's not up to us. So let's go to our Father in prayer right now. Father, as we launch this series, may it not just be a teaching. May this be a milestone moment in our history as a church where we commit to taking a huge step forward and investing and supporting and encouraging and equipping our young people like never before and help us to do that with the confidence that we know that you are with us and if you are with us nothing can stand against us go before us encourage us and cheer us on in jesus name amen Jesus said, Let the little children come to me. And do not hinder them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. But the truth is, Kids like me are disappearing from the church faster than ever before. One third of us will leave before we turn 22. And 55% of us will never even set foot inside a church. My spiritual moorings will be solidified before I turn 10. Jesus said that our Father in heaven is not willing that any little one should perish. But if I'm not empowered to participate, and if I don't feel a part of this church as a child, I won't be in the church as an adult. If you don't reach me now, I might not be here tomorrow. If you want to impact 
the next generation. Who has to start the next?